Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these... Are the other stories? <laughs> We're still looking for your stories. The podcast is currently open for new story submissions. The themes are something left on the doorstep, ghost ships, immortality, underwater, and the dark web. All submission details are available at hawkandcleaver.com forward slash submissions. Also, if you're looking for your next summer read, are we in summer yet? I'm not too sure. And want to learn a little more about the other stories, two of our non-fiction books are now up for pre-order on Amazon. One to five million by Luke Condor, that's moi. Lessons learned from podcasting in my pants when nobody was looking. And collaboration for authors by Daniel Wilcox. A complete guide to collaborating, finding a partner and accelerating your author career. Both of these books are available from Amazon right now and the links are in the description. But you can snag yourself a free copy by becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. Today's episode is Burning Love, written by Sarah Crockford and narrated by Jasmine Arch. Mercy was an odd choice of name for her. But then that choice had been made before she was born. She thought it was appropriate. Soon most wouldn't think so. The fire in front of her grew as the minutes passed, the tops of the flames now reaching two stories, ten metres high. She'd always found flames intoxicating. The warmth of the colours and the tingling sensation on her skin when she got a little too close. Eyes stinging from the smoke as the ash rose, floated, then fell gracefully, 
to coat the land in a dying reminder of what used to be. She didn't have a favorite amongst what burned. Wood, cloth, plastic, bone, even metal. It all changed in the heat, leaving behind a small gray and white mound in an area of charred earth with a few disfigured remnants of stubborn objects. A memorial to the death of matter. There had been a fireplace in her childhood home. As coal was expensive, the fire was fed by the logs her dad chopped on the patio. It was also the final resting place for all their rubbish, including the carcass of a sparrow she'd found in the garden. Mercy thought it was a wonderful way to get rid of the past. She developed not only a fascination with fire, but also the need to feed it. Sitting on the back of the ribbed sofa, she would watch her dad through the window, the careful placing of a log on the chopping block, taking hold of the axe, correcting the grip, lifting, pausing, then the precise strike to cleave the wood in two. Repeated again and again. On her first attempt, when her dad was out, she cut the top off her finger. She just stared at her bleeding hand, curious to see what lay beneath the skin. Her mum had screamed and nearly fainted. The doctor said she was lucky not to have cut into the bone. Mercy was disappointed to have missed the experience. She wasn't allowed near the axe again, and she got a beating, her mum saying she ought to play with dolls. Her desire didn't wane. Mercy wanted, needed to play with axes and fires. She waited until her parents were both out, down the pub, or taking Granny to the hospital for tests and operations, which happened a lot, until one day they didn't go to fetch her, and she asked why, and they said she died. Mercy asked if she was cremated, and if her metal knee was left over at the end. She became proficient at chopping wood, but her dad became suspicious when there was less for him to do. His anger towards her and her mum increased, and she realised that hitting the rounds of wood with such force helped him to deal with life's difficulties. The less wood there was to chop, the more he took it out on them. She knew this because it was the same for her, and she didn't want to give up her therapy. So she stole an axe from the hardware store on the industrial estate, took it to the woods, and chopped fallen branches. Then she began to fell small trees, processing the timber and bagging it up for firewood. She left the bags, also stolen from the hardware store, at the side of the road with an honesty box. Two pounds a bag. Some people even paid, which was a bonus. Spending time in the woods also gave her more opportunity to build fires and create little shelters to rest in when it was wet or frosty. She was her own boss, and was doing something she was good at. Just her, her rules, and her flames. She gave up making friends at school long before she was thrown out, fed up of being teased about her messy hair, dirty clothes, and not being able to read or write, or understand maths, or for not having a TV. The teachers thought she was weird. She knew that because they told her lots of times. They said she belonged in a special school. Her parents told them she'd be homeschooled instead. Her mum bought her a couple of books from a charity shop on the first day, but quickly went off the idea, 
Mercy spent more time in the woods. One day she snuck back into school to listen at the windows. It was below freezing, so she made a little fire at the back of the old wooden canteen, planning to get warm, then make her way home. But her mind became lost in the flames, which began to eat away at the wall. She didn't notice the headmaster coming. He grabbed her before she had a chance to run. It was a double beating back home, ending in a trip to hospital with a few broken bones. No more parents after that. Her new home was full of strangers trying to be nice to her. Trips to the cinema, nice clothes, hot food every day. But she was away from her shelter in the woods and had already been told off for making a bonfire in the communal garden. Once a week, she made the bus journey to her sanctuary and she cooked, but she didn't feel alive. That life was only sparked a few years later when she got her own flat and went into the hardware store for some paint. She was served by Sylvia, fire-red hair draped over her shoulders, scarlet lipstick and a sexy confidence. She wore tight clothing that showed off her breasts and Mercy wondered if her bra was red. The desire to see her, to get close to her, got stronger every day. She bought a lot of stuff from that shop over the next couple of years, always making sure it was Sylvia who served her, asking her advice about DIY, paint choices, the best plant fertilizer for houseplants. All the money Mercy earned from the chip shop went on things for the flat, even just a bag of nails for a made-up craft project. Most were shoved, unopened, along one side of the main room. The bedroom was kept clear, in the hope she'd win Sylvia's affection one day. Sylvia liked historical novels and talking about things in the news, so Mercy taught herself to read and write, borrowing books from the library and sealing papers from the corner shop. Sylvia watched dramas on TV and the latest film releases. Mercy couldn't afford a license, so she stole binoculars and watched the TV from other people's houses when their curtains were open, or would sneak into the cinema without paying. As the months rolled on and her obsession grew, Mercy began to leave anonymous flowers on Sylvia's car, or by her front door after following her home to keep her safe from the local gangs. Desperately wanting Sylvia to visit, she cleaned every inch of her flat until the taps were gleaming, the carpet spotless, no dust anywhere. Finally picking up the courage to ask her around, Mercy was shocked by the abrupt rejection. When this was repeated, distrust began to build. All this time loving her, protecting her, idolizing her. Sylvia, with the flaming hair, who held her heart, the only person she ever thought about. And she kept saying no, hurting her. When Sylvia had the misfortune to drive over some nails, bursting two of her tires, it was close to Mercy's flat. There was a gang shouting in the bus shelter and it was raining heavily. It wouldn't be a pleasant wait for the rescue service. Mercy knocked on her window and persuaded Sylvia to wait in her flat. It's not far, she said. You can see the car out the window, so you'll know when the emergency truck arrives. Sylvia followed her into the flat, coat dripping on the floor. She didn't care about the soggy carpet, but Mercy was disappointed that her hair wasn't as bright or bouncy when it was wet. 
It no longer looked like flames. It was lifeless and reminded her of the cigarette-stained curtains where she grew up. The house that no longer existed since the fire. Sylvia seemed to be grateful to be in the dry, but didn't say how nice the room looked, which Mercy was disappointed about. She knew the view wasn't the best. Low blocks of ugly flats. The neighbourhood oozed an air of depression. Any hope and aspiration quickly snuffed out. Most fell into the trap of drugs or alcohol. Anything to block out the pressures of life, not helped by the cheap booze offered in the corner shop. The pinnacle of drink dependency displayed by the fat man on the corner, wobbling daily across the road, tenor in unsteady hand to get his next fix of cider. He'd fallen over in front of Mercy the day before. His legs had just stopped working. His eyes flashing in realisation just before he lost balance. A final sway, and he crumpled, head grazing the brick wall as he went. Mercy didn't bother trying to help him, deciding he was better off on the floor, but she was interested in the way his blood dripped onto the tarmac. Then she went to buy biscuits. By the time she came out of the shop, concerned people were calling an ambulance and trying to help him up without success. She left them to it. She knew he'd get a couple of stitches and be back the next day, wobbling across the road again. No amount of care or love could save him from himself. Those biscuits were now arranged on a plate. Not knowing which one Sylvia would prefer, she'd bought chocolate digestives, custard creams and Jaffa cakes. Mercy was wearing her best shirt and jeans and was unimpressed that Sylvia was still in her work clothes. Not the first date she dreamt of. Offering to make her tea and proudly showing her the carefully chosen snacks, she prepared for a smile and a lovely evening getting closer. But Sylvia said no. She said no to tea, no to the biscuits, no to waiting there any longer. Mercy pointed out that she'd painted the flat in Sylvia's favourite colours, taking in all her advice about the DIY jobs. Sylvia didn't comment. She just stood nervously by the window, watching her car, rain still beating down. The flames had well and truly gone out. Mercy had invested so much time in her, and Sylvia had let her down. Anger burned within her and she felt the yearning for the simplicity of her life in the woods. The truck arrived. Sylvia left. Mercy burned inside. When the fire became hot enough to burst the canisters of gas she placed on the shop floor, satisfying explosions added to the roar of all the flammable stock contained in the hardware store. The fire engines were on their way, but would be too late to save those within its flaming walls. Too bad, really, Mercy thought. All Sylvia had needed to do was eat a chocolate digestive with her, say her flat looked nice. Such a waste but at least she had the chance to create a beautiful fire. Nothing could beat that feeling. It would disintegrate the body and the axe that had been newly removed from the display and had been sharp enough to cut through bone. The funeral pyre was a fitting end to the love that never was and could never have been.
I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Burning Love was written by Sarah Crockford, narrated by Jasmine Arch, edited by Carl Hughes, and music by Andrew K.N. and Tom Robson, and sound effects provided by zapsplat.com. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. Sarah Crockford is a writer and pet behaviourist who lives in Kent, England, normally to be found writing romantic comedies and dog training advice. She's recently been delving into the darker side of her mind with short stories featuring elements of psychological thriller and horror, but she's worried she's enjoying it more than she ought to. More information can be found at her website, www.sarahcrockford.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help support the show over at patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. You can join our book club and movie club and chat about the podcast over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver. T-shirts and mugs are available at gumroad.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. Until next time. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.